Hey, everybody. I'm Peter, and I'm no Jedi. He's the enemy of my enemy. So we will work together for now. It's Mike. Welcome to Rebels Rebels, the show that explores the Star Wars expanded universe through an episode-by-episode deep dive into the animated series Star Wars Rebels. How's it going, Pete? Great, great, great. I am excited to finally close the book on this season with quite the episode. I am looking forward to this one. Yeah, it's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, also, before we close out the se- season, I just want to say up top, you can leave us an iTunes review. If you would like to podcast with us during our hiatus, we're going to take a little break between season two and three. We'll still be dropping a couple bonus episodes and bonus content. And one of those things is an opportunity for you to podcast with us. So check out our Twitter for details. All you need to do is give us an iTunes review and give us your Star Wars rating. So your favorite thing and least favorite thing in Star Wars. And we'll pick a random person to do a deep dive with us. How's that sound? Epic. Yeah. Epic. Sweet. Epic. You can choose whatever you want. Cool. Um, why, why, are, why wait? Let's just jump right into this, let's, baby. This is the, this is the big one. Let's, let's get into it. All right. So from Wikipedia, Ezra, Kanan, and Ahsoka arrive at Malachor, a seemingly dead world and home to an ancient Sith temple, but Mm. they are not alone. Paths cross, destinies change, and fates are fulfilled. Part two. Sweet, sweet. So let's start with a little bit of a recap. In part one, Kanan, Ezra, and Ahsoka journeyed to the ancient planet of Malachor, where they find a Sith temple. Ezra, who is separated from Kanan and Ahsoka, encounters a mysterious man who calls himself Old Master. Meanwhile, Kanan and Ahsoka find themselves in conflict with not only a new Inquisitor, but the seventh sister and the fifth brother as well. And then Ezra receives a Sith holocron with the Old Master, but they arrive just in time to assist Kanan and Ahsoka, looking outmatched. By the Inquisitors, the old master reveals his true identity. The former Phantom Menace himself, Maul. No, he's not the Phantom Menace. He's like the co-Phantom Menace. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, they're like a they're like a Phantom Menace team. Okay, I kind of just reserved that name for Palpatine. <laughs> well, I would argue that Maul's more of a Phantom Menace because at least Palp- Palpatine's shown in public in one way from a certain point of view. Mm. Maul's just a Phantom in the wind. Hmm. I don't know. I don't right. know. Okay, Tweet at us. Disagree. We'll get into the episode. This will be a, this will be another debate. Who's the yeah. Phantom Menace? <laughs> Palpatine. All right. Hard and All right. Um, so there's an uneasy alliance forming right now. Maul tells the Jedi and Ahsoka that they need. They kind of drive off the Inquisitors, and Maul says that they need to bring the Sith holocron to the top of the Sith Temple in order to gain the knowledge they need to defeat the Sith. How many times can I say Sith in that sentence? I know. <laughs> uh, Kanan and Ahsoka begrudgingly agree to team up with Maul in hopes that he fulfills his promise to help them defeat Vader. So it's a little bit of a trade-off. Like, I say we stay with him. Yeah? Well, I say we go. So that settles it. Oh, you such cowards that you would run from this chance to defeat your enemies. Who slaughter your friends? 
Kanan? Chopper, we're staying for a while. Yeah, I know it's a bad idea. Just scan for incoming ships and keep the Phantom out of sight. How exciting. We're all on the same side. Just show us how to get to the top and hurry. Yeah, we we zoom past the opening fight. Um, I just hit my knee. <laughs> oh my gosh, Phantom Menace. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, what, what, what did you have to say about the fight? Well, I just thought that it was a great opening. Um, yeah, that's cool. I don't know. It just, the, the opening was one of those jump into action right away again moments mm-hmm. that I really like. And totally. where you see Maul ignite his lightsaber while still holding his cane. <laughs> yeah. Which, uh, it's pretty Yoda-like. I like that. Yeah. Wait, I thought his cane turned into his lightsaber. He's holding something. I'm pretty sure he's holding a stick and his... Uh, hmm. I might be misremembering that. But yeah, I, th- I thought I remember, he like transformed it into a walking stick. Well, and I that- remember it was odd because I was like, why is he still holding his cane? <laughs> he has no use for it and he doesn't use it to hit anyone or... Yeah, that would be cool if know. he did like old man jujitsu where he like used his cane and his weapon and just like bop people on the head like Yoda in The Last Jedi. Oh, I like that. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I kind of just yada yada the fight because there's a lot of fighting in this one. So yeah, there is. Yeah, there's a lot of fighting. Yeah, not a bad thing. But the four travelers make their way to the top of the Sith Temple. When Maul attempts to take Ezra to the top, though, because only two people fit on the elevator thing, as the Sith do, Kanan doesn't take kindly to his suggestion and pushes him aside, leaving Ahsoka and Maul together. Which led me to a to a question like, who's the Sith architect that built this temple? Um, well, well, I'm just like because if the elevators follow the rule of two, then I'm assuming like their arc architect team is the rule of two as as well. So it's like two people built this entire thing. It's like a master and apprentice hammer guy. Yeah. Um, what's cool is if you are reading the new Vader's. Uh, new Vader series. It's I'm not. All, it's not. It's pretty much all about this artist named Mammon who builds his castle. Oh, and he was this like, yeah. It, it's really cool. Um, but mm. it's about like how the spirit of Mammon comes back and like embodies different beings to like help Vader build this castle. And he was like this tortured Sith artist. And <laughs> interesting. So, so yeah. that's what I mean. Is there's it? Are they using precedent as a? It's a profession. Yeah. Are they using the force to build it? Because I guess this is leading me into a greater question: is that the rule of two always kind of confused me? And I, we've brought it up before. Like, what's to stop like two other dark side users to be like, we're the only two Sith, so we're the two Sith that are here. And then across the galaxy, like Palpatine and Vader, like we're the only two Sith. And there's like, well, that it's a that's a fairly. I, I feel like in the arc of Sith history, the rule of mm-hmm. two is fairly new because it only dates back to, to Bane. Yeah. So a thousand years BBY um, is when it starts. So this, so then I guess that leads me to another question. So many conundrums because this temple is probably older than Bane. Yeah. I would so assume prior to the, to the rule of two, but the rule of two, I mean, having a bunch of workers doesn't, undercut that i mean well i guess like why would you build your elevator to be like only two 
no more, no less. If there's know. like a million Sith around, like why would you have a two person elevator? No, it's either really inefficient or there's the rule of two. I'm confused. Or <laughs> or Maul is making that up because four of them end up on top, no problem. Yeah, but they have to take two separate elevators. Just seems like shoddy workmanship, really. Yeah. <laughs> I guess just a nitpick, but it confused me. Yeah. Uh-oh. No, but, you're yeah, it's it's I don't think it's a nitpick. I think okay. it's fair. I appreciate that. Yeah. Rule of two. It's confusing. Maybe we'll do a deep dive and then I'll clear some things up. But I never really it's hard for me to track that one. But the group, um, as they make their way up to the temple, they are unknowingly tracked by one of the seventh sisters, ID nine seeker droids. The droid reveals that Ezra has the Sith holocron. He loves to talk about important things in front of these droids. It's like, oh, check out the Sith holocron. Look at what I have. And then it reports back to the Inquisitors. Hastily, the eighth brother rushes off to retrieve the holocron. But the two other Inquisitors hold back, saying that the eighth brother will thin the herd and make it easier for them. Yeah, it's kind of a cool moment, too, when the mm-hmm. eighth brother goes, I will reclaim it. And then he, like, helicopters away. <laughs> I was yeah. like, that was a cool exit. <laughs> I know. I'd helicopter all over the place if I had that power. I know. I'd be like, like, I am going to the market. That's <laughs> power you could, you could have. Yeah. I mean, that's got to spin really fast to create that. I'm sure it's like they're using some of the force, too. But Yeah, totally. We've talked about this, how it doesn't really make that much sense. Like, because if they're lightsabers, there shouldn't be any mass. And then how does the Bernoulli principle work? It just, it doesn't make sense. But no. Yeah, it is growing on me. Like, it's one of those things I thought was really silly and stupid. But I'm like, now I'm kind of just like, I don't know, embracing the weirdness of it. Yeah, it's, I like it. Mm -hmm. But it's weird. It is weird. Um, when they arrive at the temple, though, Ezra and Kanan argue about whether or not Maul can be trusted. Ezra then accuses Kanan of holding back his training, saying Maul realizes his true potential. And that is one of the early glimpses of dark Ezra. Yeah, this is this is really opening the gate to some interesting stuff in season three. So I'm excited about that. He is Snoke. <laughs> that's interesting too we should go into that theory huh. um after that though the eighth brother catches up to the group and attacks maul and ahsoka manage to drive him away but they are like kind of fighting and blah 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 blah, blah. and kanan tells maul that the inquisitors have realized their plans so maul advises them to split up again to better handle the inquisitors Not really sure how this helps them better handle Inquisitors, but they're splitting up again, and Maul again offers to take Ezra with him, and Kanan objects, but Ezra this time says, no, I'm going with Maul, and leaves him. It's confusing, too, because Maul Mm -hmm. says it's the logical choice that Ezra comes with him, (laughs) and I don't know why that's the logical choice. Um, It's logical because then... He can try to convince him to go to the dark side. <laughs> That's like the only upside. There's no other upside. Well, Kanan gives into it too. And I'm like, Wait. yeah, I don't know. Kanan. You would think like the logical choice would be keep a master and Padawan together. You would think. Yeah. You would really think. You would think, but nope. Um, but after they leave, Ahsoka assures Kanan that Ezra will be fine because Kanan has taught him well. Fight, 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 
I do want to shout out before fight, 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 which is totally true. Sam Whittier's voice work, who's voicing Maul, is so good. Yeah. He has yeah. like this, like, it's a different take on Maul a little bit where he's like a little less confident, more calculating. There's this whole arc where we, when we first meet Maul and the comics are fleshing this out, he was basically just like a ravenous animal that couldn't like sit still and just wanted to murder everything. And that kind of goes through the Clone Wars. And now he's kind of more resigning himself to be in the shadows. And I just love his like little furtive, like, okay, I'm calculating things. I have some plans going on. And he goes, excellent, excellent. Like, it's just like very like, yeah, like, like twirling his mustache evil. And it's really fun for me. Very much a broken person. Totally, totally. But yes, fight, 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 fight. Um, Maul and Ezra are making their way up on these elevators that are still annoying to me. And he starts to sow seeds of discord between Ezra and his master trying to kind of be like, Kanan doesn't like you. Only I can unlock your true potential. And that is when they're attacked by the seventh sister. Ezra, listen to me. He's using you. Are you ever going to trust me to think for myself? To follow my instincts? I do trust you. Maul sees what I could be. You don't. He'll say anything to get what he wants. Look out! That's sad. Yep. Did we, Oh, yeah, no. I was trying to remember if we, if we brushed over the eighth brother, but the fifth and eighth brother both attack Kanan and Ahsoka. The yeah, same separately. Time. Okay, okay, this, okay. This, yeah, this, this, uh, death here is first to come <laughs> and it's, it's sad to me it's yeah. sad to me because the seventh sister um is mm, not, not 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 even an interesting character necessarily mm -hmm. um i just like sarah Mich michelle geller mm -hmm. r.i.p smg totally pour one out yeah. um i was surprised she was the first one to fall so basically they're seven yeah, sisters fighting ezra and maul on one side of the temple and then the fifth and eighth brother fighting Ahsoka and Kane on the other side and kind of Maul is able to grab her and force choke her and like kind of levitate her off the ledge. And he's telling Ezra strike her down with all your hatred, trying to kind of course him over to the dark side. And you know, he's conflicted because he doesn't like this seventh sister, but he can't bring himself to kill her. So Maul throws his lightsaber at her and then admonishes the young Jedi telling him that in the future, his hesitation might cost him or his friends, their lives. And so, yeah, I, I was, I was surprised about that too, because I, I think she was the most interesting of the three inquisitors and she seemed the most competent. So I yeah. thought she would be the last one standing, honestly. Well, yeah. And her death is anticlimactic in a way that to me feels like forced writing a little bit. <laughs> like you can tell this is a season ender. Yeah. And they have a new villain coming in. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can really tell in this um, section too, but I also think I noticed that Maul has an ear piercing. Piercing. What? Did you notice that? On his left ear, on the top, not on the lobe, he has like this something in there. It's just like a white circle. It looks like those punk girls in high school that we used to hang out with that would like pierce the top of their ear. That's what he looks like. Okay, I respect that. <laughs> He's super into Blink-182 and some 41. I, I can't see that, actually. Um, he looks more like a 
a stained guy to me. <laughs> he looks like he's a, he's a juggler. Mm, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so anyway, they kill the seventh sister and they make it up to the top of, this is just a fun word, the obelisk. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they make it to the top of the obelisk and Maul tells Ezra to plant the Sith holocron in the temple's obelisk and he will jump and help out Ahsoka and Kanan. So he runs off to confront the last two inquisitors and Ezra goes off on his own Back at that battle, Kanan manages to damage the eighth brother's lightsaber, and he's outnumbered. The fifth brother's kind of like knocked out. So the eighth brother kind of tries to flee using his helicopter thing that we just talked about. But because, yeah, yeah, his Kanan broke it, it breaks apart in midair, causing him to plummet to his death below. So pour another one out. Yeah. And I guess if the seven sisters' death was anticlimactic, this one is. It's this one's funny to me. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's a funny way. But it's really anticlimactic. This one is literally okay, just throw them off cliffs. Totally. Well, the weird just, thing about it to me too is we've seen people fall from high distances a lot, and we even see Maul do it later. And I just assume they we see Ahsoka do it later. Oh yeah, totally. And we've seen Probably like um, the same height. Yeah. Remember in the call, they jumped out of the phantom. And then they just like use their force push and like soften their fall. Yeah. I feel like the eighth brother could totally be alive still. Yeah. I was going to say, so maybe we're in agreement that the eighth brother is just alive somewhere out there. He's just like, you know, this is a good opportunity. I'm just going to get out of this business. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what the carpool situation was too, because we see at the end of the episode, Maul has one of the Inquisitor's ships and uses it to get off Malachor. So it's a one seater. Yeah, I'm wondering, like, did, do all three of them have TIE Fighters, or did they all pile into one, just squeeze into one? Mm, I mean, the Seventh Sister and Fifth Brother, they're, they're friends. Yeah. Just the, the Seventh Sister was sitting on his lap? Yeah, but the Eighth Brother, <laughs> he, he came along. Okay, then he probably has a ship to take off as well. Yeah, he's fine. Yeah, okay, so he's probably just off living his life, making his dreams come true. Um, we actually, I got, I did get confused actually. So the fifth brother had already died at this point. So yeah, his uh, death was even more anticlimactic. Yeah. So Maul's engaging with all of them. I know all three of these are just kind of like, so, um, Ahsoka kind of disarms him and damages it. And then Maul kills him too. So three inquisitors taken care of. They are donezo. Now. And I guess all it took was a little bit of malice. Because it's like there was plenty of opportunities. Mm-hmm. It was funny because in this episode, there's plenty of opportunities for both the Inquisitors and the Jedi to kill one another, mm-hmm. but they never do. Like yeah. there's a perfect opportunity for the eighth brother earlier where he could have just sliced off Ezra's hand mm-hmm. or like <laughs> easily, like he had him for yeah, totally. quite a long time, but didn't. And it's almost like they don't want to. It's like this symbiotic connection. They can't, you know, it's like, well, I'm going to be, be out of work if you die. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, that's, I've I've brought this up before. There's the episode where the seventh sister and fifth brother, like Ahsoka finally fights them and they have Kanan in the exact same position as the seventh sister. Um, He's defenseless and being kind of force choked in the air. And then the seventh sister just kicks him in the stomach when she could have sliced him in half. Yeah. And so it's interesting because I wonder if maybe there's a little bit of, 
inkling of the Jedi struggle still with them that they don't want to just, I don't know. I might be reaching with this one, but yeah, I like what you said about they need a little malice. Cause Maul's the guy who's coming in. He's like, I don't care. I'm just gonna cut everyone in half. And that's yeah. when like stuff gets done. Yeah. It's well, it's like in Harry Potter when mm-hmm. like the first time Harry Potter tries to use an unforgivable curse, it doesn't work because <laughs> I think Bellatrix was changed. Is like, you know, you have to mean it when you use it. Yeah. Oh, and, I, uh, I like that reference. So Maul means it. He's coming in <laughs> and like with, he just, he does not care. It sounds like a, like a big dog shirt. Like, I just want to, I want a picture of like Maul's face with sunglasses and just says, Maul means it. I love that shirt company. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that's, I don't know why it happened. You love big, there was a big dog outlet by where we grew up and my mom used to take us there all the time. I would get some sick shirts. Usually dogs playing basketball. It was pretty tight. Yeah. There's some great shirts. There's oh. one that says my goal is to lose, lose 10 pounds, only 15 to go. <laughs> That's funny. I like that. <laughs> that is pretty good. Um, let's look at some bestsellers. <laughs> Can't fix stupid. And then it's a dog holding duct tape. Wait, is Big Dog still a thing? Are you on a yeah. website? Oh my God. Yeah. I'm going to buy this, a Big Dog shirt. This one says you can't fix stupid, not even with duct tape. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> Please tell me there's a Big Dog Star Wars shirt somewhere. I don't know, but this one says I never argue. I just explain why I'm right. That is funny. <laughs> that is this funny. One, this one says if at first you don't succeed, then maybe you just suck. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh my God. That's like not even a joke. That's just a burn. <laughs> Wow, these are <laughs> really good. I'm not sure if the doctor said I was obese or a beast. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> an obese person wearing that? Oh my God, that's amazing. Um, All right, that's a new contest. I could literally start a podcast about big dog shirts. <laughs> Leave us a review on iTunes and we'll buy you a big dog shirt. Okay, okay, one more, one more. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. There's a shirt that says, give a crap o meter and the meter is on zero. That dog don't give a crap. Those are just the best sellers, people. I didn't oh even go through. I didn't even go through the classics. Okay, cool. All right. I'm excited about this revelation. Oh my god, there's over 200 different kinds of shirts. <laughs> okay, okay. I I could keep reading so I got to okay. come and exit this website. Okay, so in a seamless transition, <laughs> After the eighth brother's death, Kanan demands to know where Ezra is. Maul claims Ezra as his apprentice, surprising Ahsoka and Kanan. And that is when Maul blindsides, pun intended, Kanan, striking him in the face with a lightsaber. Where's Ezra? You mean my apprentice? Before Maul can finish off the wounded Jedi, Ahsoka comes to Kanan's aid and attacks the former Sith. So a bomb was just dropped. Um, and I think this was executed really well. Like I yeah. love when it flashes to Kanan's point of view and it's all just red. Um, I don't know. I just, I remember being so shocked in this moment when it came. Um, and... I don't know. I don't have a lot to say. I just remember it being really cool and really shocking. Do you remember watching this on when yeah, it first started? And I was confused at first. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, I knew what happened, but I, maybe I was just like, I, it wouldn't, mm-hmm. I didn't believe that the show would do that. 
Yeah, totally. Um, There's something a little interesting because I was a little bit confused of the turn because if Maul's motivation is to bring revenge on all the Sith and kill Vader when he gets there and then use the weapon to kill Palpatine, which I and all of his enemies, which is what he says. Then I would, this seems a little early to be betraying the people who are helping you. Like maybe I would wait until after Vader gets here so that all four of you can fight Vader and then betray someone. Um, so this turn was a little bit confusing to me, but they said something interesting in rebels recon. They said Maul is obsessed with his legacy. Mother Talzin's gone. His brother's gone. So he's the last of his particular kind. He was brought up in a time where he was forced to hide in the shadows, which he was not okay with, according to the comics. And he was promised power in the galaxy. Um, But when in the Phantom Menace, when Obi-Wan strikes him down, he survived when it made him reconsider his place in the universe. So there's an original line in the script for this episode where Ahsoka asks Maul who Vader is and Maul replies, who I should have been. So I don't think they flesh it out very much here, but that's kind of the current is he's almost jealous of Vader and he's really bitter about how far he's fallen. So I think he says at a certain point in this episode, like the end game is on us. So like this is I think what he's referring to is this is Maul's end game. This is his last chance. He's desperate. He's, He's in the corner and fighting and kind of scrapping to try to just do one last thing to get his place as like the big head honcho bad guy in the universe like Vader is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think like you said earlier, he's, he also has like front, like looking at his arc and Mm -hmm. going back to who he originally was. This is pretty like, this is almost, uh, him reverting back to totally really is like at his core because he was just like this almost uncageable animal. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, like this seems like in the Sith, um, there's there's something I was doing some research for our deep dive in Malachor, and there's actually some interesting stuff with some lessons that Maul learned on Malachor um, when he was young. And one of the things was trying to balance his passion as a Sith uh, and his aggression, which is where his strength flows through with patience and calculation, which mm-hmm. Sidious was really good about. And Maul was never good about. So that, yeah, I think you're right that this is him reverting. Make maybe it doesn't make sense for him to strike out a cannon right now, but he was just like, he's disarmed. I can't help it. Ah, just like slices him in the face, you know, that's what it feels like. Totally. And I think we've seen over and over whenever Maul kind of lets in, gives in to those urges of his, it doesn't seem to work out for him. Yeah. So, um, maybe there's a lesson there. I mean, yeah, I'm just wondering. I mean, had he have waited, would they have been able to defeat Vader? Like, I think. I mean, I don't. I think they could have because we see that Ahsoka pretty much battles Vader to a standstill. Kanan wouldn't be blinded. Ezra would, you yeah. know, be there to help. And Maul's obviously powerful. So that's you know three and a half really powerful Jedi against, yeah. or not Jedi, but Force users against one Sith Lord, even if he is so powerful, that would be a tough, tough thing to overcome. So I think this is a case where Maul's impatience again, kind of bites him in the butt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but 
Ahsoka wants to know where Ezra is. And Ezra says that, or Maul says Ezra is on his way to activate the temple, which is actually a battle station that Maul intends to use to defeat all of his enemies. So as a little review, we talked about this in part one a little bit, um, but there was a thing called the Great Scourge of Malachor thousands of years before the Galactic Civil War. Malachor was the location of a massive battle, which the Jedi Order launched an all-out assault against the Sith and their forces. And the temple on Malachor was a giant weapon powered by a huge kyber crystal that misfired, question mark. We'll get to that in our deep dive. Yeah. Um, during the battle, and it petrified all their combatants, which we saw earlier in, in this, uh, in the first episode, we saw a bunch of ashy kind of statuesque people. Um, Maul wants to activate this weapon in order to destroy all of his enemies. Um, so that's a little recap of what his end game is. Meanwhile, at the top of the temple, Ezra plants the Sith holocron into the obelisk and the young Jedi is then greeted by an entity known as the presence who tells them that knowledge is power and the yeah. Sith temple begins powering up. Who comes Ezra, uh, Ezra Bridger. I was told this holocron is the key to knowledge. Indeed, Ezra Bridger. And do you know what knowledge is? Tell me. Knowledge is power. Oh, man. This part's weird. Yeah. Um, what, what do you mean by that? First of all, the fact that it yelled knowledge is power just <laughs> makes me laugh. Because it's like every teacher ever was like, oh, I should use this clip. <laughs> but, I like that. Were you able to figure out who this presence is? Um, I do have a good amount of information on the presence and I actually okay. really like it. Okay. Well then I'll let you talk about it okay. before I get into it. First of all, do you know who voices the presence? Is it familiar to you at all? Yeah, it's familiar, but I don't know. It's, it, it'd be hard to place because she's using a different cadence, but it's Nick Nika Futterman, who was the voice of Asajj Ventress. Hmm. Yeah. So, I've not been able to place that. Yeah. Cause Ventress is like kind of more like, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, like it's so it doesn't sound like ventures but it's kind of a cool thing i think dave filoni just said like he loved her and she was so talented he needed to find somewhere to put her mm. and she shows up a little bit more in season three spoiler so that's kind of cool but here's what i was talking about dave filoni did provide some insight into what he saw as the backstory of quote the presence in his mind, the voice of the presence is the voice of the ancient Sith Lord who built the Malachor Temple. Mm. Filoni says that he liked the idea of an ancient and powerful woman who had domination, who was dominant, that the audience had not yet heard of. Um, she was creating this weapon when attacked by the Sith Order and everyone was turned into stone. So we mentioned last episode, there's rumors of a Sith witch. So maybe this is that Sith witch. Um that's not confirmed, but I like the idea of a Sith witch. Um, and then, so Filoni further said, quote, but I wrote the history down. I just put it out there in case people want to pick it up later when they're working on things and give some continuality. I won't reveal the name. I have named the character, but I want to make sure everyone is cool with it. 
Ooh, which is Ooh. mysterious. So I looked up some theories online. A lot of people were thinking it was Darth Treya, who was a Sith Lord, a woman Sith Lord, who was involved with Malachor from the Old Republic video games. Mm. Um, but Pablo Hidalgo kind of, he tweeted something that kind of debunked that. So the new theory that people are saying is that it is maybe a female version of Darth Revan, who is a famous uh, Sith Lord from the Old Republic. Yeah, I mean, which is pretty old EU. Yeah, totally. I think a lot of people really want Revan to come back. It's one of those kind of like when when Thrawn was there, it's like, how could you get rid of Thrawn and Revan and Mara Jade and all these amazing characters? And they started bringing, they brought Thrawn back and people were like, ooh. So I think a lot of people are kind of hoping that Revan shows up in something. And so the way that Filoni kind of was like, well, it's a history and, you know, I got to make sure people are cool with it. I have a name, but I have to make sure it's okay. People are thinking maybe it's someone really substantial. So maybe it's a female Revan, which would be interesting. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a a lot more on the presence than I had. (laughs) I pretty much just had a question. What's your question? Um, Well, no, it's just a thought. Yeah. Something I like about it is kind of like mom and uh, in the in the Vader comics that are coming out is mm-hmm. is his spirit or essence is like imbued into this mask and anything the mask is on he can kind of take over oh, and that's yeah. how he's able to survive and that's somehow and I don't understand the you know how it works but that's how he's able to linger on and so this presence to me felt similar to that because it felt like it was attached to a physical artifact mm-hmm. and like it was attached to this obelisk. And so it seems like that's a pretty uniquely Sith thing. Yeah. Um, that they require an object to exist where the Jedi seem to have found this way to attach themselves to the living force mm. and remain. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. I like that. But I think, yeah, and what that says is, I think, interesting. The, mm-hmm. it's inter- you can, you know, I won't, I won't get into it, but um, the physical world versus spiritual world and totally. implications there are pretty cool. Because we do see that um, the presence kind of gets sucked out of the temple with the holocron. Yeah. Um, once Ezra mo- removes it, so... Somehow the presence's soul is trapped in there or something like that. I don't know. It's really interesting. I like that. So we'll see how that manifests in season three. But back at the site of the struggle, while Ahsoka and Maul battle, Kanan regains his composure, realizing he is now blind and dons a fallen Jedi temple guards helmet and squares off against Maul. Um, I was wondering, do you think there's any significance to him picking up a Jedi temple guard helmet, seeing as a temple guard is who he had his vision with back at the Jedi temple and who actually knighted him. I don't know. I think there could be. Yeah. Um, I haven't really thought about it, but maybe it just symbolizes something about him being a protector of Ezra or something like that. But I haven't, I haven't really gotten my thoughts together around it. Yeah. I mean, is it, is it more a plot device to cover his face at this point? Yeah. Because they don't want to show the graphicness of. That's probably true as well. Um, so it's like, we should cover his face so we don't just show this. 
Mm -hmm. It feels like that first. And then secondly, you know, cause it's a kid show. And then yeah. secondly, um, yeah, but still yeah. It's, it is interesting. Yeah. I think you're right. I think they just didn't want to show kids like a bloody gouged out <laughs> eyes or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think, you know, they could have used a lot of things to cover his face, but he picked up a Jedi guard to, so I wonder if there's something there. I haven't really thought, I haven't really connected the dots yet, but one thing I did notice that I thought was interesting is you see when Kanan starts to get up, he's bent down on one knee holding his face. Um, and right next to him is a jet is a fallen Jedi. Who's in the exact same, uh, composure on there. It's one of those Ash statues and it's on one knee, exactly like Kanan holding its face, but it's dead from the weapon in the battle and Kanan, it seems to pick up that Jedi's helmet and huh. stand oh, up. So I wonder if that's some more symbolism of like, you know, this is a Jedi who couldn't finish the battle or whatever. And Kanan is strong enough to stand up and get back into the fight. Hmm. Um, interesting. Yeah. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but this confused me at first. And I think, you know, we see Ahsoka's like, oh, first, if you want to get, like, deal with, you want to battle me, you got to deal with him first. And, like, kind of sassily is like, all right, like, Kanan, you can fight him now. Um, You would think that him being blinded would <laughs> be a disadvantage, but Ahsoka seems pretty confident in Kanan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't, I didn't question it too much. Uh, yeah. I know what you mean that it's a little funny. Because uh, it could have gone bad. Yeah, totally. I think um, <laughs> that would have been funny if he was, she was like really <laughs> confidently like, you got to deal with him first. He's like, okay, just stabs him instantly. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, did not see that coming. Yeah, I'm sure this will be a theme through all of season three because the blindness, Kanan's blindness seems a little inconsistent. Um, yeah. yeah. And we see it a little bit in this, you know, he fights Maul and kind of is able to defeat Maul, but needs Ezra to like hold his hand and yeah. guide him to I know isn't that silly yeah I love that part I love when he's like, <laughs> um, like why is he limping all of a sudden like totally he didn't get he didn't sprain his ankle yeah I mean there is some canon things about it because in the prequels and in New Hope we see that the very first thing that Pad a Padawan learns is to use a lightsaber and rely on their other senses they you know Luke was doing with the blast helmet where he couldn't see then we see all the younglings training with those helmets um in was it clones yeah um and so you know because canon went through traditional jedi training he is still has that kind of fundamental skill set in him so it's not unbelievable that he could fight and defend himself without his eyes um i would just assume that he could also you know walk around without bumping into things if he yeah if he could well, fight it's like but, in those moments he's letting go of the force and yeah. like being really human yeah and, I don't know, like, does it take energy to, like, have the force flowing through you? Because if not, he should just be able to walk around fine. Yeah. Maybe it does, because we've talked about this with, you know, them needing to exert effort to pick people up and things like that. So I wonder if, you know, he could only let the force flow through him for a limited amount of time. And now his mission and his training will lead him to try to extend that to longer and longer periods. But, yeah, you know, maybe <laughs> at this point he could only fight mall for two minutes before he runs out of force energy yeah um but that is what he does he um squares up against maul using his other senses he's using a different lightsaber grip now 
which is interesting. Um, I don't know why being blind wants you to makes you want to switch up your lightsaber grip, but I, I kind of like it. It's kind of cool. He's adopting the Ahsoka hold it backwards kind of thing. Hmm. And he's able to basically just like trip Maul and he falls off the side of the building. And it's like in my head, I was playing like the or like what's yeah. the like a circus music or like a, what's the like British like is like a very funny like pratfall. Yeah, it's a little wonky. Yeah, he basically just trips and is like, <laughs> like just. All right, whatever. So that's small. Uh, I'd say pour one out, but we find out he doesn't actually die. Um, but I found a little nugget in the original script. Maul ended up facing Vader, but that was cut because they thought there was one too many duels in a single episode. But interestingly, StarWars.com's exact verbiage is, quote, Maul was spared that confrontation, which indicates to me that maybe the original script signals Maul's death, which I think is interesting. Yeah. I think it would have been a lot of deaths in one episode. Yeah. And yeah. almost made Maul a really pointless character. <laughs> well, I think they talk about it a lot in rebels recon where they wanted to finish the Maul story. Um, so a lot of people thought with sons of Dathomir because he didn't die in the clone wars, that would be the end, but he didn't die in Sons of Dathomir either. So people were just like kind of a question mark. What's going on with Maul? And so I think they wanted to add him to this episode to give him some sort of actual definitive ending. But then I think maybe at some point halfway through the writing, they're like, oh, maybe it's a little bit too much to end it in this episode. Maybe there's a little more story to tell. And then later yeah. on, they get to a very definitive ending, which, which we will talk good. about a lot. Yeah, because yeah. he he deserves a little bit more than a side note death. Like he, yeah. it's it's it was it's a it's worthy of the way it's done is done well. Yeah, I, I don't think he could have been done well here. I agree. I don't and I don't think. I mean, like it said, they he would have fought Vader and fallen at Vader's hands, which I think would be a little more epic than him slipping off the side of a building like a dummy. <laughs> uh, so it would have been a little bit more satisfying of a death, but it would have been weird. I think to introduce him again for two episodes and then just kill him. Yeah. But, um, he is taken care of. And so now it is just Ahsoka, Ezra and Kanan or so they think chopper tells Kanan that he has detected another incoming tie fighter. Who can it be? It's Vader. We just talked about him. Um, so jump back to the top of the temple. The presence reveals that the temple contains the power to destroy all life. And Ezra's like, wait, I don't want that. <laughs> um, and so the presence then questions whether their new guest would try to claim the power. <laughs> Believing the presence is referring to Maul, Ezra attempts to return to Canaan and Ahsoka but as he emerges to from the temple, he is instead cornered by Darth Vader, who has arrived in his TIE Advanced Starfighter. You have unlocked the secret of the temple. How did you accomplish this? You're smart. Figure it out. What an entrance. Yeah. This is like, a, it was like straight up. I feel like this is how Elton John enters stage 
at his concerts. Yeah. That's pretty epic. <laughs> it's like so sick. He's like, he's standing on top of his TIE fighter, presumably using the force to steer. Yeah. And then there's just this big backlight shining behind him. And he's just epically standing on top of it, like a chariot being oh, it's just so it's so majestic. <laughs> I like it. Um, and then Vader jumps down and asks Ezra how he managed to open the holocron saying the young and then the young Jedi says to figure out himself and Vader quickly defeats Ezra and breaks his lightsaber in half. Good. I love that. Yeah. That's the best part of this episode is him breaking that stupid lightsaber. Yeah, I know. So RIP to the gumball firing stapler gun. <laughs> but I like this line where he's like, Vader's like, how'd you open the holocron? He goes, you're smart. Figure it out. And it's like, how does Ezra know he's smart? He doesn't know this guy. Like, what? <laughs> he could be a dummy. He's like, I'm not smart. I don't know. Like, literally, how'd you do it? <laughs> and then also there's another cool line that Ezra is like, I'm not afraid of you. And Vader retorts, then you will die braver than most. Which is a sick line. Yeah. Or. Yeah. That's that line was funny to me. <laughs> I really like it. Yeah. I mean, it's a good line. Yeah, it's very Vader. Like, it's yeah. very clearly just like he's confident. He's just like, yeah, of course I'm going to kill you. So yeah, he's, he's not wrong. Yeah, I know. Right. Um, And so just before he's about to drop the final blow on Ezra, they're interrupted by Ahsoka. Perhaps I was wrong. It wouldn't be the first time. It was foretold that you would be here. Our long-awaited meeting has come at last. I'm glad I gave you something to look forward to. Yeah. Yeah, so now we're getting into some real meaty stuff. Vader offers her mercy if she helps hunt down the remaining Jedi, but Ahsoka refuses, saying Vader and his Inquisitors have killed all the remaining Jedi. She also comes to the two terms with the fact that Anakin is gone saying that her former master could never be as vile as Vader. Vader replies that Anakin Skywalker was weak and that he has destroyed him. Um, so there were two things I want to bring up. First of all, Ezra's right there. Did Ezra just learn that Vader is Anakin? Um, no, I don't think, he, I mean, he's not the smartest. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why Ezra thinks Vader's so smart because Ezra's so dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's not like they're hiding it and he's no. right there. He overheard this conversation. I don't know if he did. He's yeah. right there, but I don't think he's listening. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, I got other things to think about. It's like, Oh, I wonder what Sabine's up to. He's thinking about his gumball lightsaber. <laughs> yeah. He's too distracted by his stupid gumball lightsaber to realize the deepest, darkest secret in the entire galaxy. Um, but I also remember not connecting the dots until very late into the season that Ahsoka is about to fight Anakin. I don't know why I didn't put this together when I was originally watching it and I didn't really get the weight of it until very late. And I remember it hitting me like a ton of bricks, like the emotional weight of this battle. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Um, so... Tano vows to avenge Anakin's death and Vader says that revenge is not the Jedi way. And Ahsoka states, I am no Jedi. Yeah. Both really good lines. Yep. I feel like 
Those lines were written so long ago. Yeah. And then an electric guitar wails in the background. Like, wow! Then I will avenge his death. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. Um, but the former master and apprentice begin to battle. And while they're doing that, Ezra attempts to remove the holocron from the weapon, but he is unable to do it by himself. At that moment, though, Kanan arrives and they work together to remove it. Yeah, which I don't believe he couldn't have done by himself. Yeah. Well, I, I, it just seems like you need to be stronger to pull it out because there's no mechanic. So two people. Here's the, the I actually heard a theory about this, which is interesting. Um, I don't want to get too deep into some of the stuff because I'm going to get into this in the deep dive and a little bit later. But one of the things is this, this weapon fired, misfired, something happened that caused all these deaths is a big disaster. So oh, fail safe. Yes. There's two theories that either one, the Jedi put in a fail safe that you need a light side user but along with a dark side. Then that's dumb. Well, I don't know. Can you destroy a holocron or destroy a whole temple? I don't know, but you can keep it not in a Sith temple. It's like if you like found a nuclear arm and what wh- whoever enemies camp you infiltrated and then you put a failsafe on it. You're like, you know what? I'm going to put a failsafe on this. Why wouldn't you just take that bomb and bring it back? Yeah. No, I get you're right. But like, I, w- I think it's probably just on because I kind of liked this logic. It would be like if in your example, there was a bomb in an enemy in a Russian camp. Say we're at war with the Russians and there's a bomb in the Russian camp, but it's like a gigantic bomb that you can't move. So what they're going to do is you need like the fingerprints of an American, like of the American president to blow up the bomb because <laughs> there's no way the American president will ever be in that Russian camp. So that's kind of the thinking of the Jedi is like, we don't want this to go off. So we're going to make it. So a dark side user and a light side user together need to pull the, you like pull it out or use the weapon. And their thinking is like, Oh, a Jedi will never go to this temple ever again. We're for, forbidding it. So then that will never happen. And at this point, Ezra's dark enough as dark Ezra to act as that dark side user and then Kanan's the light side user. So together they can kind of manipulate the temple and do what they want with it. But they couldn't do it by themselves. And that also leads to why Maul couldn't do it by himself either. You know, he couldn't get in to get the holocron by himself. And then maybe he couldn't use the weapon without a light side user. Yeah. Just I, a I theory. Mean, yeah. I I like all elements of that except for the dark side, light side thing. Yeah. Um. It could just be two people because it's yeah. almost like the big, the elevators is like only yeah. two, no more, no just less. Two. Maybe it's just you need two to get the holocron. You need two to use the elevators. You need two to yeah. turn on the thing. So it might just be two people. But. Yeah, because I, I I like it. I, I like it. I like the th- I like the theory. But and I yeah. like Dark Ezra stuff. But ultimately, spoiler alert: I don't buy it for Ezra. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Ooh, I'm excited to get into that. Yeah. But um, once the holocron is removed, it causes the temple to collapse and implode on itself. So the outer walls of the Sith temple, Ahsoka and Vader are continuing to fight, but the temple is falling down, trapping Ezra and Kanan inside. During the fight, 
between Ahsoka and Vader, though. Vader knocks Ahsoka off the side of the temple. Um, I just wanted to point out, too, the music is really good. Yeah, right it's now. really good. Like the single violin oh, really? kind of thing. Yeah, it's sick. Yeah. Um, Ezra and Kanan try to make their way back to the Phantom before the temple closes in around them. They have the holocron, but Vader arrives and starts pulling the holocron towards them through the force while Ezra is still holding on to it. So it's kind of like a tug of war where uh, Vader Vader's using the force to pull Ezra and the holocron toward him. And Kanan is just holding on to Ezra and pulling him the other way. And it looks like Vader is winning and Kanan is not strong enough to hold it back, but Ahsoka recovers and attacks, uh, suddenly appears and attacks Vader, knocking away his lightsaber and damaging his helmet, which is a sick yeah. move. I love this move. She like basically jumps on his chest and strikes him in the face. Um, <laughs> it just shows like the cool, like acrobatic style of Ahsoka is <laughs> really fun. Um, but with the right half of his mask destroyed, you can see Vader's eye. I'm going to make sure to say Vader's eye, not Anakin's eye, um, even though it resembles her former master. Vader then calls out Ahsoka's name with a blend of Vader and Anakin's voice, which I thought was a really cool touch. Yeah. Ahsoka. Anakin. I won't leave you. Not this time. Then you will die. There's a little Easter egg kind of thing here. Cause remember in the special edition of return of the Jedi, they removed Vader's eyebrows. Oh yeah. <laughs> so when they, Luke takes off Vader's helmet and you see his face for the first time, he used to have eyebrows in the original cut. And then George Lucas is like, well, I mean, he got burnt up, so he wouldn't, wouldn't have eyebrows. So they digitally removed his eyebrows. So silly. I know, whatever. But in this, he has eyebrows still. And the reason for that is because they couldn't figure out a way to make the model register expressions without the eyebrow. Mm. So okay. like they couldn't animate him without the eyebrow or else he couldn't really tell like what his emotions were which I thought was interesting. Hmm. This is a cool little moment. So she's torn by her feelings to Anakin. She was able to kind of steal herself and come to terms with the fact that Anakin's gone when Vader was behind the mask. But now that the mask, a little bit of Anakin shining through the mask, Ahsoka is torn and vows not to leave him again. Vader appears to consider this for a few moments and then says, then she will die and reignites his lightsaber. So obviously Anakin, I think it's important to show this because I think it's important to know that Luke is the only person who could turn Anakin um, back to the light side. And so they're going to make overtures toward this where Ahsoka and him had a really, really close bond. Obi-Wan and him had a really close bond. Yoda and him, but none of them could have turned Anakin and he's not ready to hear what he needs to hear in order to come to the light side at this point. So he pretty quickly yeah. shoves off Ahsoka and goes after her again. Yeah. Which I think is good. I yeah, don't, me too. Yeah. I think he needs time. I think time's the only thing that's going to do it. 
Yeah. And I think it would just cheapen, you know, the Luke Vader connection, which I think is the most important one. Yeah. If there was any thought in your head that, oh, well, maybe Ahsoka could have done it. Especially knowing Ahsoka's whereabouts during the original trilogy now. But we will get to that later. Yeah. Um, so they continue to fight and the temple is about to close in on itself. Ezra sees that Ahsoka's in trouble and she's about to get trapped. So he runs back to try to rescue her, but she force pushes him out of the temple and into the safety of the phantom. And the last thing Ezra sees is the temple closing in on itself while Ahsoka and Vader continue their duel. Yeah. Which is, I feel like that's a really popular move in culture right now. Like the use the force to push them out of the way or magic yeah. to push someone out of the way or like not let someone interfere. Like someone, I, I don't know. That's a, yeah, it's a cool move. Yeah. A lot. It's heavy. Well, I can think of two times it happened in rebels and both times made me want to cry. So, yeah. <laughs> um, they get back into the phantom and they take off thinking oh, Ahsoka. The best part. Oh, what's that? Or is it after when, Oh no, it's, when does Chopper guide dog? Um, oh, yeah, no. You're right. That was before this. Back to the Phantom. Yeah, you're totally right. Uh, that was before this. So, so it's the best part. Chopper comes out to help Kanan in, and he, it's so funny. He's holding Kanan by the hand like a little guide dog. Oh, it's so <laughs> cute. <laughs> uh, Chopper dog. Yeah, I like that. But they get back to the Phantom, and the temple explodes. Um. So they are flying away and we go into the phantom and we see Kanan is comforting, comforting. Is that, is that comforting? I like that way better. (laughs) Kanan is comforting. (laughs) I know words. Kanan is comforting a weeping Ezra who thinks that they just lost their mentor and friend, Ahsoka Tano. Yeah. This is all heavy. The Phantom then returns to Chopper Base on the planet Atalon, where they are greeted by their friends. Some look on in silence. Hera embraces Kanan, who is now wearing a white blindfold around his eyes. Then Ezra appears without Ahsoka, and Rex looks on in sadness, thinking, seeing that Ahsoka has not returned with them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you, though. So we know, spoilers for the end of the season, sorry, series, sorry. We know now Ahsoka is still alive at the, after the Battle of Yavin yeah. or Endor or, you know, Dang. after Return of the Jedi. Yeah. We also know that Rex fought <laughs> yeah. in the Battle of Endor. Yeah. So do they ever reunite? No, oh, probably. I'm sure that story's out. Gonna oh, be my gosh. That's how heartwarming. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure it happens. Yeah. So this is kind of we're buttoning everything up. We snap back to Malachor and we see Maul escaping in one of the Inquisitor's TIE fighters. So as we mentioned before, I thought this was kind of interesting. Maul is in his endgame, as he mentioned. He said, we're in the endgame now, Lady Tano. Um, Coming to Malachor was his last chance at real power, and now it was thwarted. So at this point, he's flying away from Malachor with the realization that he will never again be the force in the galaxy that he wanted to be. He will not be a Sith Lord or a crime boss or the wielder of a super weapon 
So he is now shifting his sights to one last remaining loose end that could actually be obtained. And we will see what that is in yeah. season three. The greatest moment. Yep. We're seeing a defeated man who realizes his life dream was never fulfilled. But yeah, so he's he going to, he's basically just going to revert to his animal instinct, like his yep. base instinct. Totally. Yep. So we go back to the surface of the planet, though, and see something pretty interesting. We yeah. see a lone and damaged figure, Vader, struggling away from the destruction of the temple. He has survived, but he is very hurt. And he limps away back to his TIE fighter without Ahsoka. So this is important. Um, I, I mentioned this earlier, but no matter what happens at the conclusion of this battle, no matter you know how this all turns out, I think it's really important to show that Ahsoka fought Vader to the edge. Um, yeah. Regardless of what happened, he she basically fought him to a standstill. How many other people in the entire series were able to do that? Yeah. And I think that's a really cool thing. Just showing kind of the the importance and strength of Ahsoka and how much she, how, how far she's come since we first saw her. If you know, this is basically the end of her arc till further notice. And I think it's kind of really cool to see that she went from, you know, what up snips, blah, 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 sky guy to like, I just almost destroyed Darth Vader. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool. And I think it's a mixture of she is one, great force wielder and two was the apprentice apprentice of Anakin. So yep. she theoretically knows his sparring style better than most, even if it has changed totally um, given his new apprenticeship. Yeah. And I don't know how much we actually, I mean, we've we see this in rebels and the couple of fights she got into, but Ahsoka is said to be a excellent, excellent lightsaber sword fighter. Um, so I think, She's a great force wielder. She's a great swords person. And yeah, she knows Vader slash Anakin more than anyone else. So I think that's a pretty lethal combination, which I think is important to um, point out. So you go Ahsoka. I love you. (laughs) (laughs) I just let it. Um, But there were some other interesting things. Dave Filoni said that he had been playing through the confrontation between Ahsoka and Vader for almost a decade. He said it was an extremely important moment for him. And his biggest fear was not doing justice to Ahsoka in the eyes of the fans. So what do you think? Do you think he did justice in the eyes oh, yeah. of the fans? Oh yeah. Yeah. He didn't mind. Good job, bud. It's yeah. Good. So, I I think this is Ahsoka is a very important character. Her character to him, very important character, George Lucas. And I think that this kind of closed her arc, you know, semi closed her arc in a very satisfying and real way. So I appreciate that. We will miss you, Ahsoka. Till further notice. Is that Ahsoka we see walking back into the cave? So I have a lot about this. Hold on to your butts if you're okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. So panning back to the temple, we see a convoy flying overhead and the vague figure of Ahsoka heading back into the temple. So I think it's pretty clearly Ahsoka heading back into the temple, but we don't really know what it means. So I found a pretty wild theory that I kind of love. If you'll give me a couple minutes to go through this. So convories, if you remember, they're those owl creatures that 
we have seen a couple times in Clone Wars and we have seen notably twice in Rebels. So this one that is flying overhead and the one that we saw with Ahsoka earlier has a unique coloring that is important to this theory. So it's kind of cream and gold and green. So a little history. Each time we have seen a convoy in the past, it has appeared at times of great challenge to Ahsoka. So we see him when there's an episode of the Clone Wars where she's hunted by Trandoshans in like a island thing where it's kind of like a what's that like Korean movie where like a bunch of kids are just oh, yeah. dumped like in Hunger Games. Yeah, totally. So that's basically she's in like Star Wars Hunger Games and she's being hunted and we see convoys there. We also see them one time when she's captured captive or held captive by Hondo and she needs to break out of that. Then we see it right before she leaves from Malachor. She shows up with Ezra and is like, hey, we got to go on a pretty bad mission. And we see this specific one, the white and green and gold one. And then we see it now when she is maybe dead. We don't really know. So when we see them in the wild, they are dark brown and green. This one's white cream, light green, and it corresponds to a very specific color palette. Do you remember seeing anything else that has kind of a cream green color palette with trims of gold like mm, in the animated series the father close mm, i don't know so the convor has the exact same color palette as the daughter mm, and so okay. if you remember back on the mortis trilogy the daughter or ahsoka was there and ahsoka was poisoned by the brother and the daughter gave her life to bring Ahsoka back to life. So some think that the daughter kind of exchanged her life for Ahsoka, maybe imbuing some of her life force into Ahsoka. And this owl might represent the daughter. So in some cultures, owls are regarded as escorts into the underworld and protectors of the soul. The theory basically says that the spirit of the daughter who was transformed into animals before, remember we see in Ahsoka, she turns into this, or in uh, Mortis, she turns into this like Griffin thing, appears with Ahsoka in times of great turbulence in order to watch over and protect her. So at this moment, we think maybe the daughter is escorting Ahsoka into another plane of existence. She may have literally bonded with Ahsoka and... You know, we see at the end, Ahsoka turns into Ahsoka the White, you know, kind of like Lord of the Rings, Gandalf turns yeah. into Gandalf the White. So maybe that's what this transition is right now. Um, Dave Filoni released like some trading cards after this before we knew the fate of Ahsoka. And it showed there were two cards specifically that showed what happened to Ahsoka after she enters the temple again. And she's kind of going through this black river um, down into the depths of the temple, walking toward the convoy. Mm, so yeah, the symbolism there is kind of like, it reminds me, I feel like Hades almost, like yeah, crossing like the river, river Styx. Yeah. yeah. And kind of like other cultures have owls being the guardians in the afterlife. Maybe the daughter is protecting Ahsoka as she transitions into her afterlife. Um, I think this is also backed up by the series finale where Ahsoka is brought in to the place between time and space or whatever it's called 
maybe at the direction of the Mortis crew, because remember, they're the ones that pointed Ezra to the portal to find Ahsoka. So this might all just be a grand scheme by the daughter and maybe the father and the son together, kind of closing the arc to protect Ahsoka in this moment and bring her back for some unknown reason that hopefully we will get to. Yeah. And in the world between worlds, she says to Ezra that the convoy is an old friend and that Ahsoka owes her my life. Yeah. I like all these theories and I've heard them before and Mm -hmm. I was super on board and still am. Um, that that convoy is the spirit of I didn't know it's the scissors specifically, but that makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense given that Clone Wars episode. Um, I always thought that the convoy in this moment is leaving her, though. Mm, that it's kind of saved her too many times almost, mm-hmm. and that Vader did in essence strike her down. But the convoy almost revived her again. Mm-hmm. But this was kind of like the final time it could. So now, you know, almost like a cat on its last life. Now Ahsoka is really dependent on, you know, it's she owes the convoy her life, but she can no longer like rely on that. And her yeah. time is kind of up. And she has to, she can like walk between worlds, but. You know, this yeah. is her final time in the living world. Interesting. I really like that. Actually, I like that reading a lot. I like that more, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Because I think that explains a little bit like what she was up to during the original trilogy. If she is part, partially part of the living force or the cosmic force. Because um, I, get, I get the sense that maybe she's the daughter helped her blend it like bind with the force in a way that no other being has where she's kind of in between living and dead almost, um, which will lead to like the soak of the white symbolism, I would say. Um, and if that's the case, maybe it's just not, she can't interfere in worldly events in the same way that she could before. So that's why she sat out the civil war yeah, and is focusing on more, you know, spiritual big yeah, things. She has one last go. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. Uh, Dave, Dave Filoni's vague, but he did say that the convoy is an avatar for someone or something that has appeared in Star Wars before. So I think that that lens clear. I think we're pretty clear that the convoy is the daughter. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that that's true. Um, but back on the ghost, the specters silently deal with Kanan's blindness and the apparent loss of Ahsoka. In this darkened room, Ezra manages to access the Sith holocron using the dark side of the force with his eyes reflecting the beaming red light. And mm. we have full on dark Ezra, which we will, you can check out our deep dive on that coming out this week. So, yep. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is really interesting. I'm really excited to see how this all goes out. Um, I have one more kind of mini deep dive, but before I get into that, do you have any other notes before we close up this episode? No, go for it. Cool. So I was wondering what was Yoda's end game by sending them to Malachor before I kind of go out on the deep dive and another kind of w- weird theory. I don't, I don't know if you had anything you wanted to kind of say about the reason they were even sent here. 
Yeah, no. Yeah. This was kind of confusing to me. So I was doing some research. Major shout out to Star Wars Explained on YouTube for a lot of these points. But we talked about this a little bit and we're going to do a deep dive on Malachor in general. So there's going to be more information on there. But generally speaking in Legends, Malachor was a site where there was a war between the Jedi and Mandalorians. And Malachor was the where the battle, the war ended. It ended when a Jedi named Revan, who we mentioned before, he was a Jedi who then became a notorious Sith Lord. He lured the Mandalorians to Malachor and then set off a weapon called the Mass Shadow Generator, which destroyed everything in the atmosphere of the planet and reduced the planet to a barren wasteland. The trick worked, defeating the Mandalorians, but at what costs? So that's important when we see Ezra and Yoda talk about this Ezra is kind of like why can't we fight to protect our friends I need to defeat the Sith and Yoda is like it doesn't matter if we win it's how we win that's what's important so this is all legends but as Ahsoka said in the previous episode there's always some truth in legends and we know that Ezra is struggling with how to beat the Sith so We know that during the Scourge of Malachor, the weapon misfired. But if we take some of the legend story and assume that some of it maybe translates to the new story of Malachor, what if it wasn't actually a misfire that killed all those people on Malachor, but a Jedi fired the weapon to win the battle? So this could explain why The whole planet was erased from the history of the Jedi, and no Jedi was ever allowed to go to the planet. Because the Jedi were ashamed in their actions and the cost it levied. So I'm thinking maybe the score, like this whole Malachor mess, was caused by a Jedi. They did something bad and it killed everyone, and they're ashamed of that. And they kind of tried to like bottle it up. And that is why. Ezra is sent there because he needs to see what happens when you try to win at all costs. Um, I don't know. That's just my little theory. And I think ideally Yoda would have hoped he comes away from it saying, wow, this is really heavy. We need to be smarter about how we protect our friends and do it with the light. I don't know if he expected though, Maul to be there and interfere and maybe spurn on a little bit of dark Ezra. So it might have been uh, backfired on Yoda a little bit, but I just thought that was an interesting theory too, that maybe the Jedi were the bad guys in this whole thing. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, I, I think I'm attaching myself to the, maybe the simplified explanation of they, Yoda just could see that this is where all these paths were intersected Um, where Maul and Vader, uh, you know, where all these people would come and that's, you know, and those were going to be where the biggest lessons were, was in these intersections of paths, because I think that's good. I think what you said is really interesting had it played out, but it didn't play out. Um, you know what I mean? Um, maybe, maybe it did, maybe that did happen and Yoda wanted them to go there to learn this lesson, but the real lesson was in the intersection of paths and lives. Um, yeah, yeah, you could be right. I mean, I think your, your explanation is the more simple explanation and I think it's safer. <laughs> like it, that makes more sense to go with that. 
Um, like the more simple explanation is mostly usually the right one. The only thing that caught me up on that I got caught up with that because I thought of that too is then essentially Yoda's leading the group into a trap. Hmm. Yeah, but because nothing, you, but nothing bad really, but nothing. Yeah. Well, but, Ahsoka died and hmm. Kanan got blinded, and so yeah, you're right. Like I mean, my, the, I I just thought that was maybe a weird move for for Yoda to be like. Yeah, the lesson will be you fight three Inquisitors and Maul and Darth Vader and hopefully you survive. Um, and so I kind of read it more as like Yoda sent them to Malachor just to learn the gravity of what happened yeah. there, which Sidious did with Maul as well. Um, and then Yoda didn't expect Maul to be there and didn't expect the Inquisitors to be there, didn't expect Vader to be there. And they're the reasons why everything went off the rails. Yeah, because they kind of interfered. Um, but I don't know. Both are, both are just theories. I don't. I don't think either yeah. one of us no, is right. No, no. It's just wondering out loud, you know. Yeah, no, it is. It's interesting to wonder. Yeah. So yeah, let's. Uh, I think that's all I had for it. You want to bounce on down? Yeah. Well, Head. that's all I had. Well, this is an epic episode, and how we end yep. every episode um, is on our grading scale of our current worst thing in Star Wars to our current, our current least favorite thing in Star Wars or our current most fa- favorite. Um, I'll give an example if I, if I can go. Go for it. My current least favorite thing is Han Solo got his name for an Imperial officer. Steven. Solo. To most favorite is the death of Yoda on Dagobah. Great mm-hmm. moment. I give this episode. A Ahsoka fighting Vader on Malachor, <laughs> which is an A plus. It is tight. I can't. It's just in in of itself one of the best things in all of Star Wars, not just Rebels. It yep. makes my top five moments. I agree. So, yep. So I mean, I think this is gonna be anticlimactic because on my scale. Which my favorite thing in Star Wars is the throne room battle in The Last Jedi. My least favorite thing is the song that was added for the special edition in Return of the Jedi called Jedi Rocks. Between those two things, I give this episode the throne room battle in The Last Jedi. Because <laughs> it is just a clear A+. plus. This is equal to the height of Star Wars, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I agree. I think the ending of season two of rebels is as good as anything else that has ever happened in star Wars. You can come at me on that. If you want, I will mess you up. Yeah. There's only one moment I like better in all of rebels. This is, this is my second favorite moment in all of rebels. I'll say that. Yeah. Rebels contains two of my all time favorite star Wars moments. If I'm putting it in my top five Mm -hmm. and this is one of them. Yeah, me too. My other moment is like that time that Callus is riding on the back of Zeb and he mm-hmm. looks like weird and he's like, oh, I'm scared, but I'm also really comforted. My number one is Chopper holding Kanan's hand when he's <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, great job, Rebels. We love this episode. I think that is clear. And we are excited to get to season three. Yeah. 
Yeah, so season two. That's season two of Star Wars Rebels. Yep. It is quite a different season than season one. Mm-hmm. Matured a lot. Characters have come to their own. It's a... Uh, it... This is where where this show becomes really good. Totally. It, from here on out, it's kind of hard hitter after hard hitter. Um, had it stayed on the season one journey, mm-hmm. I don't know how I would have felt about it. <laughs> kind of like, yeah. I don't know how I feel about Star Wars Resistance right now. I kind mm-hmm. of don't like it at all. <laughs> <laughs> We're 10 episodes in, if you're listening to this, yeah. of Star Wars Resistance. And so far, nothing has happened. Um, which was kind of like the first half of Rebel Season 1. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping Star Wars Resistance picks up like Rebel Season 2 does because Rebel Season 2 is an amazing milestone in Star Wars history in the non-movie um, episodes. It's it's amazing. Yep. Yeah, and in retrospect, I think you hit all my points about Season 2. Um, it's a great season. I think I'm looking forward to I remember... We're talking in the very beginning about the costume changes, how we thought it was kind of unique that, you know, Sabine's armor gets damaged. And so she changes out, she paints over on her chest plate to fix that damage and she changes her hair color and stuff like that. I think we're, that's one thing that Rebels does really well. And I think no one returned from Malachor intact. Um, And the Rebels have been giving some pretty crushing blows. So I'm, in, I'm excited to see all the changes that are going to carry over into season three. Yeah. Obviously we're going to see, you know, Kanan's blindness, but I think there's a lot of other little changes that we're going to see on all the other ghost crew that is going to be kind of like Sabine changing out her armor, but maybe more emotional. Yeah. And physical so. as well. Yep. Physical, emotional, Both. spiritual, all of it. It's going to be, everything's going to change. Yep. And so I think this season was about, kind of getting beaten down. This is kind of the empire strikes back of rebels. Yeah. So the question now is how do the rebels rebound from season two and move on in season three? So yeah, there is no winner kind of thing. No one won this battle. Yeah. I'm also really looking forward to, I think it's really cool that we start to see the Alliance come together as we know it. We're going to see a lot more of the universe and more of what we're used to from a new hope. Um, so stylistically, I think that's going to be a really cool thing to look forward to. So I am excited. Agreed. Cool. Sweet. Well, so thank you so much for hanging on with us through season two. Um, we are going to take a little bit of an extended break. We haven't decided how long, but we've got a couple things going on brewing behind the scenes that we're going to figure out. And in the meantime, we're going to try to drop some bonus content and we will be working on booking some excellent guests. So please hit us up if there's anyone specifically you would like to see on the show in season three. And please leave us an iTunes review and enter into the contest we talked about earlier. And check out our Twitter and Instagram for links to our big cartel where we will have our Space Oddity pin. And soon some new pins coming up. New designs yeah. I'm excited about. Do you want to tell people where to find us on Instagram and yep. Twitter? Instagram at Twitter at Rebels Rebels Pod. Um, you can email the show at Rebels Rebels Pod at gmail.com with yep. any questions, comments, poems per usual. <laughs> we love those poems. Keep them coming. Yep. 
Yeah. And again, thank you so much for this. This has been a wild ride. I want to thank all of our guests. We got some really cool dream guests this season, some people that I really, really like. And so I'm I'm looking forward to the future of Rebels Rebels. Yeah, we're excited. Um, Our break will be hopefully short and we'll see you in season three Mm -hmm. of Rebels Rebels. We'll be dropping, like Peter said, bonus episodes here and there. So it won't be, we won't be be gone too long, but um, remember until next time to be brave out there and don't look back. Don't look back. Soka lives. See ya. Bye.